0: Dr. Yitzchak Belazan, Bas Medrash of BRS, is uh, welcoming Rabbi Freyam Waxman, Shlita, who is a great Tamachacham, very passionate, fiery speaker from Muncie. You could watch his talk at the uh, most recent Siyam Hashas in front of hundreds of thousands. It's coming the weekend of December 16th, 17th, and we're having a Malava Malka that Saturday night for men with music. Divrei Torah will be very inspirational and beautiful. We need everyone's help and support for our base Medrash and our women's Midrashah. Classes like this and others, the Men's Afternoon Kolol, the Women's Learning. Please add your name to this list, contribute. If you benefit from the wonderful Torah learning opportunities in our community, we would greatly appreciate your support and your partnership. Our learning this morning is dedicated for our Rufu Shlema, of Dvorah Shirachaya, Bas Hinda Pero, who's undergoing a very serious surgery this morning as we learn. the Surgery should be successful, and may she and all those who are ill have a speedy and painless Rafu Shlema Parshas told us, page one twenty four, in the earth scroll stone chumash. As always, we'll do our overview of the parsha, and then go back and delve into specific pesukim. Ela told us Yitzchak ben Avram. Avram, Ela Yitzchak. These are the offspring, the progeny. These are the descendants, the lineage of Yitzchak, the son of Avram. Avram gave birth to Yitzchak. Of course, all the mafushim are bothered. And we've studied in the past the redundancy. Yitzchak is the son of Avram. Then clearly Avram is the one who gave birth. Avram is the father of Yitzchak. But even more puzzling, we'll start in our overview with the actual name of the parsha itself. Why is it we have two parshas that begin the same way? Ela told us Noah. And Ela told us Yitzchak. One parsha is called Noah. And the other Parsha is called Toldos. Toldos. If it were consistent, if it were parallel, we would have a Parshas Noach and we would have a Parshas Yitzchak. Why is our Parsha called Toldos, whereas Parshas Noach is called Parshas Noach? I wonder if that bothered anyone here ever before. (laughs) The uh, the Labavitcher Rebbe Zatzal, this week with the Kinnus Hashluchim, this past week, it's appropriate to quote the Labavitcher Rebbe Zatzal. So the Rebbe said that the difference in the names of the parashios is reflective of the personalities themselves. The great contrast between Noah, how Noach saw his role in the world, and Yitzchak, how Yitzchak saw his place in the world. Noah is an Ish Tzadik Taman There's no question Noah is righteous in his generation. But we know, and it's the great debate that rages, there's the Noah fan club, And there's the anti-Noach people. But was Noach righteous only for his generation? Was Noach righteous in all generations? The text seems to support the side that it was only in his generation. But in other generations, he may not have been considered so righteous. The Rebbe explains that Noach led a somewhat egocentric religious life. He was focused on his righteousness, his virtue, his merit, And of course he fulfilled the mandate to save humanity. We owe collectively Noah a tremendous debt of gratitude. But if we're to measure Noah's contribution, if we reflect on Noah's life, says the Rebbe, Noah was concerned with himself. He saved himself, he saved his family, he pursued his own personal growth. God gave him a platform to preach and inspire and motivate others, and he didn't. His parsha is called Noach, says the Rebbe, because that's as far as it goes. We don't know much about Noach's children. We don't know about his progeny or the legacy or the mesorah that he left. Parsha's Noach is called Noach because that's where his story essentially begins and that's where his story essentially ends. But the Rebbe said that's not true with Yitzchak. In great contradistinction, Yitzchak doesn't see himself as the beginning and the end, Yitzchak's entire existence is to be a role-player, is to be a link in a chain of continuity. He understands his role as an ambassador of a value system. He understands his role as the progenitor whose obligation is to transmit the values he's inherited and to pay them forward. Noah's name, says the Rebbe, comes from Menucha, or Necha, which means satisfied. Noach is satisfied. He's complacent with what he accomplished. He survived, took care of himself, built the ark, continuity of humanity, showing it's enough Noach. Yitzchak's name comes from tzachak, laughter and joy. Because Yitzchak sees his essential role as to transmit a value system, a lifestyle, and to do so with joy, to do so with a sense of of happiness. So, Parsha's Noach, because that's where it begins and it ends, with Noach. What's the Parsha of Yitzchak called? Because Yitzchak saw his entire essence was to create toldos. You could live life for yourself, you can be the beginning and end of everything, or your life can be dedicated to your toldos, to your offspring, to your progeny, to those that come after you. Your life can be dedicated. To extracting from the world all the pleasure and joy you can or your life can be dedicated to transmitting a sense of values to a generation going forward. And that's why the baba Rebbe says our Parsha is called Toldos. True! Yitzchak is the centerpiece of the Parsha. Yitzchak is the key protagonist of our Parsha. But it's not about Yitzchak. Yitzchak's entire life. And in fact, later in the Parsha, you get to the whole very mysterious episode with the wells Avram had dug wells, the polishtim fill in the wells, Yitzchak redigs the wells. And Mephoshim explained, Yitzchak is the quintessential, he's the paradigmatic role player. He's not trying to forge some creative, innovative, new, radical ideas in the world. He sees himself as a link in the chain. If he can get and be a connection between point A and point C, if he can connect his father, his parents, with his grandchildren and great-grandchildren, what a life he's led. You know, sometimes we think that in order to be accomplished, in order to be noteworthy, you have to make, you have to write some books, you have to have your name on a building, you have to have started a new organization, you have to cure cancer, solve world peace, you have to do something radical. Well, in Judaism, the greatest accomplishments and those who deserve our admiration and praise are the role players. Simply being a link who successfully transmits our values, lifestyle, Torah, mitzvos to another generation, to raise a family who embrace Torah and mitzvos to set family on the trajectory that is the same path as our ancestors, Yitzchak teaches us that too is worthy of being called one of the Avos. That too is an amazing accomplishment. And says Le'Babit Sherebi, that's implicit in the name of the Parsha itself. It's called Parsha's Toldos, unlike with Noach, which is called Noach, it's called has told Toldos because that is Yitzchak's entire essence. So our parasha begins. Yitzchak is the son of Avram. Avram begat Yitzchak. Yitzchak's forty years old. He marries Rivka. We're reminded she's the daughter of Besuel. She's the sister of Lavan. But they're barren. They're barren. We have all kinds of needs. We're hungry. We like money. We like pleasure. We like. Uh, we have all kinds of needs. Hashem also has a need. What's Hashem's need? So it says, Hashem loves, He needs, He desires the prayers of the righteous. Now does it mean Hashem needs it? Of course not. God is omnipotent, He's perfect, He has no needs. It doesn't mean Hashem needs it, but it means Hashem sees value. He tries to draw out and elicit the prayers of the righteous. And He does so by creating a vacuum, a need. When everything's going well, He doesn't hear from us that much. It's when we're missing something that all of a sudden we find His number. So with the Avos and Imos in particular, they lacked, they struggled with infertility. They were missing, not just something, they were missing everything in that sense. And that precipitated their calling out to Hashem. Vayatar Yitzchak Hashem linochach ishto. Yitzchak, that word Vayetar, Itur. Gemara Tzuka picks up on it. Anitor is a pitchfork. Just as a pitchfork can flip the, the, uh, the hay, so to prayer flips a Baruch Hu. Yesterday he said so-and-so should be sick. Through prayer he says so-and-so should be healthy. Yesterday he said they should be single. Today he said they should be married. Yesterday they were barren. Today they have a child. Yesterday they were unemployed. Today they won the lottery. Prayer is the capacity to transform Hashem. We're not going to get into this now, but that of course begs the obvious question. If the omnipotent infinite being thinks this is what's best for me, and I think that that's what's best for me, should I defer to him or should he defer to me? What should I prefer? That God go along with my interpretation of what's best for me? Or wouldn't I want to defer, wouldn't I want to submit to what the infinite omnipotent one thinks is best for me? Why would I want to engage in an exercise of trying to change God's mind? What's the whole institution of prayer of tefillah? a fundamental philosophical question Rabbi Brody is doing a series of classes of workshop on this right now you can look at it in the weekly I highly recommend it but why would I want to engage in that exercise called prayer? praising God? I get it thanking God? very important gratitude attitude of gratitude Thanksgiving weekend I get it but the middle section bakasha I don't God thinks this is what's best for me why would I want to change his mind? don't I want to go with what's in his mind? And moreover, how do I change his mind? What is it about tefillah? What's the mechanism through which I can change the mind of the infinite, omnipotent being? I can't change my wife's mind. I can change God's mind of what he thinks is right. I'm punishing her because she didn't come today. So I could change God's mind. How can I do it? And why would I want to do it? It's a question for another time. But what does it mean? Yitzchak Davind, Lenochach Ishto. The Meshechachmer of Mer Simchot says, you know what it means? Did Yitzchak worry that he, in fact, would remain barren? Was Yitzchak fearful that he would be childless? No. Why not? Yeah. Kresh promised him he's going to have children, <clears throat> a legacy, offspring, a future, build a nation. So why was Yitzchak davening from the bottom of his heart? Why? Lenochach <laughs> ishto. He knew he was going to be taken care of. Whether his wife would give him a co-wife like his mother did. Whether, who knows? He'd have a second. He, he was confident he would have a child. The purpose of his prayer was Lenochach <laughs> ishto. I think it's a very important lesson. Last Shabbos afternoon, we gave a hoshir about lessons of marriage from Pashas Chayi Tomorrow night, we have this conference call, an intimacy affection within marriage. But I think there's a lesson in that, in this insight of Rav Meir Simcha. They tell a famous story of Ravari Levin, who went with his wife to the doctor, and they were sitting in the exam room, and the doctor finally came in, and he said, What's the matter? Ravari Levin said, My wife's furt, foot is hurting us. <laughs> he didn't mean it like hurting us, like, oh, she's nagging me. I, take care of her foot, it's hurting us. He meant, My wife's pain is hurting us. We are so connected, we have such a bond, we are so two halves of one whole, that my wife's foot is hurting us. That's Yitzchak Lenochach Ishto. Was he hurting? His feet worked just fine. He was confident he was going to have a child. But he doubted Lenochach Ishto, my wife's barrenness is hurting us. He poured in the heartfelt tefillah because that's what it means to be married is to feel that bond, that connection to hurt for the other. So they daven and Rivka conceives. By the way, Rashi tells us that Yitzchak's tefillah is more readily heard than Rivka. Why? Yitzchak is Tzadik bin Tzadik. Rivka is Tzadik es bas Rasha. So the prayers of the righteous, the child of the righteous are more readily heard and accepted than the prayer of the righteous, the child of the... W- Does that make sense to you? No. I would say the opposite. Wow! Somebody raised in a wicked home. No role model, no example. And they choose to be righteous? Wow! What a merit! It's a much greater merit than someone who grew up in the lap of a, the gadol of a mother as a tzaddike. I mean, to grow up in that environment, uh, big deal. You grew up to be a Okay. I was reading a new book that just came out about Rebetz and Mahlus. Allah HaShalom. Amazing, amazing tzaddikas from Yerushalayim. You can't read one paragraph about this book without feeling yourself utterly inadequate and pathetic. That's, she was this unbelievable, unbelievable woman. So you grow up in that home. I happen to have a good friend who married one of her daughters. And you grow up in that home. And so you have... An, they have 150 people for every Shabbos meal. Every Shabbos the whole year. 150 people. They just... You can't imagine. So you grow up in that home. You know how to do achnasas <laughs> orchem. It comes second nature to you. So what's pshat? Yitzchak's prayers are more heard. How long am I going to hold? Yitzchak's prayers are more heard because he's a tzaddik ben tzaddik. She's a tzaddikus bas It should be the opposite. Eloheinu <speaking in Hebrew> Rabbi Pivarsky, Rosh Hashiva of Panovich, says the following great insight. He says, you know. If you grow up in a wicked home, does it take a lot for you to be righteous? If you're a little bit better than the home you grew up in, that is a monumental leap forward in righteousness. To grow up in the home of a wicked person, and to come to the conclusion you should be a little bit more righteous, so to be a little bit more righteous is a world away. But you grow up in the home of a tzaddik, you say, you know what? How could I compete? How could I live up to how many people who are the children of the righteous don't go in those footsteps because they think they can't ever compete? They can't touch their parent with a ten foot pole? So to surpass your parent who themselves was a tzaddik? Wow, that Hashem listens to. So Yitzchak, a tzaddik ben tzaddik, to say my father, my mother would tzaddik him. And you know what? I didn't say, yeah, it's okay if I'm a little bit less. I didn't go off the derich, I wasn't turned off because I couldn't possibly live up to who they were. I applied myself and I surpassed them and became a bigger tzaddik than the parents. Tzaddik ben Tzaddik? Wow. That, a Karish Baruch, who listens to, says Rabbi Pavarsky, and that's why Tzaddik ben Tzaddik more than Tzaddik ben Russia. Rivka conceives, these children are, she feels uh, pains of pregnancy, She of course goes to L'Drosh Hashem because instead of going to the OBGYN you go to the rabbi when you're pregnant and you have pregnancy pains. I'm obviously being facetious. We've discussed this in the past. You could listen online. What was bothering Rivka? V'Atelech L'Drosh Hashem She goes and she speaks to a Rav. She went to Yeshiva Shein Ve'ever and they said, Don't worry, it's not one kid with two personalities. You've got two nations inside you. That's why you feel kicking when you pass the base Medrash. You feel kicking when you pass the base of Ota Zara because uh, you've got two nations. And she says, oh, that's why I can't sleep at night? That's why I can't hold food down? And that's why I'm, I feel somersaults inside me? Okay, no problem, good. What bothered Rivka? Why did she go to the address she went to? Why was she satisfied by the answer that she got? All subjects for another time. And as I said, we've discussed this in the past. She gives birth. The first one is Esav. And then Yaakov is born holding on to Esav's heel. Esav is born, the Torah describes, he's Admoni, Kulo Ka'aderes Se'ar. But Shmo, Esav. He's born red, reddish. he has a complexion. He's covered in hair. And they name him Esav. Why do they name him Esav? Rashi tells us, and the Rashpam as well, Esav is milashan Asui. He's complete. He's a finished product. Now the simple understanding of that is he's a finished he's covered in hair, he's reached maturity. He's you can't even get him to an endocrinologist. He already there's no in utero endocrinologist other, I don't know. But it was too late. The kid's already born, fully matured, finished puberty, covered in hair. So they name him Asa Vasui. Done, complete, finished package. Next is born Yaakov. And why do they name him Yaakov? Ekev. He's holding on to the heel, which is also bizarre. Because for a split second, there was a cute picture when he came out, holding on to the heel. That becomes his name forever in perpetuity. Because the split second, he happened to be holding on. If he was a breech baby, his name would be breech. <laughs> what, what, because he came out that way, that's his name? What's going on over here? So, Rav Menachem ben Zion Zaks, who I'm very fond of quoting. The Menachem Zion. was a Rav in Chicago, the son-in-law of Rav Tz. Pesach Frank and the grandfather of our uh, members, the Landis. So in his Sefer Menachem Tzion, he says the following, What's Pshat? When Rashi and the Rashbam say he's called Esav because he's Asui, it's not referring superficially to his physical features. It's not talking about his having completed puberty and being mature. It's talking about an attitude of life. Esav is not on a path of personal growth. Esav has no interest in improving himself. What you see is what you get. The same person who came out of the womb was the same personality, character traits, lifestyle, priorities, values as the day he died. He was Asui, done, finished, complete. Yaakov, on the other hand, says Rav Nachman ben Siyon, Yaakov is Miloshan Akev. Akev is a heel. And why is he called the heel? Because the heel is the first part of your foot when you walk that meets the ground. It's the first part of a footstep. Life is supposed to be filled with steps, progress, personal growth, transformation. We call it ikvah de mashicha The heel of the Messianic era. It means that the precursor, beforehand, the first step in the process that will lead to Yemosa Mashiach. So says the Menachem Tzion, the contrast in their names reflects the contrast in their personalities. of Zasui. What you see is what you get. Not interested in changing. It's just not me. I am who I am. I eat the same way, I still don't exercise, I still have no patience, I still don't learn, I don't concentrate when I daven. I'm done, finished package. Yaakov, Ekev, Yaakov's life is about putting one foot in front of the other. A journey of personal growth, of personal transformation, of personal improvement, of always trying to get better and better. We're all familiar with the story. Have to leave some time to get into our psukim. The overview is... Uh, Taking a lot of time. So, the birthright, Yaakov buys the birthright. What happens? Yitzchak is mourning the loss of Avram, and Yaakov is making these lentils, which is the food of a mourner, round like the egg that we eat. And uh, Esav discovers him, and Esav comes in from the field. He's tired, he's sweaty, he's schwitzy, he's exhausted. And what is he saying? He says, Give me some of that red stuff. Give me some of that red stuff. Um, he doesn't know its name. He can't identify the name. And why can't he identify the name? And by the way, we give him this name. Torah tells us, he becomes the progenitor of a people called Edom, from the fact that he's Admoni, and now when he wants to eat his food, he says, He can't even think of its name. He can't go to the trouble to articulate the name of the food. Give me some of that stuff. The red stuff. Give me some stuff. And Chazal tell us from here that one of the signs of Asaph's immaturity, lack of sophistication, poor midos, is this passage. We are an articulate people. To be a child, to be the children of Yaakov, is to be eloquent and articulate. It's to be able to identify what we want, to speak clearly. The progeny of Esav are not careful with their use of language. Language is what defines us as a human being. It distinguishes us from the animal world. The Torah tells us, "A Baruch who breathed the breath of life into us. Uncle is famous, he says, Ruach Mimala, he gave us the power of speech. What it means to be godly is to have a power of speech. And what it means to use the power of speech in a godly way is to be careful and vigilant and to be articulate and to strive to use speech in the highest way, not the lowest way. Rav Pam when he gave a Musa based on Pashas told us, his Talmidim testify, he would emphasize this point, that when, when somebody can't speak English properly, when they can't articulate a thought, a request, a feeling, an emotion, when they can't communicate with another, they are an offspring of Esav. To be the offspring of Yaakov is to be able to speak clearly. To lack that skill and to not care enough to gain it and learn it and utilize it is to violate the very gift of the power of speech. Apparently in Rav Palm's day, it was popular yeshiva guys would, would use the word, whatchamacallit. You know, you'd be in the middle of talking and you couldn't think of the word and you'd say, whatchamacallit, whatchamacallit. And Rav Palm used to give Musa where he'd say, you can't use the word, it. He'd say, if you're saying the word whatchamacallit, it means that you weren't thinking before you spoke. And to not think before you speak is not what we do as, uh, as Jews. So uh, you see this from Minha Adom, Adom Azeh of Asaph. Okay, continuing. Halitayninu. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> to shovel it in, yeah. Give me the food to shovel in. The, foreman, the uh, There's a famine forces from the land. Here we see the Mais Avosim and Labanim, what Avram went through. Now Yitzchak is going through. Yitzchak's in Gerar. We have the episode of the wells I alluded to earlier. The redigging of the wells. The notion of Yitzchak as toldos. He's redigging the well because he's a link in a chain. He's paying it forward and he's passing it to the next generation. Uh, Reassures Yitzchak of his role. It comes and appears to Yitzchak at night. have no fear. Have no fear. Like for your father, I'm going to bless you, and you will be a multitude. Ace of Marries. Ben Abram Shana. He marries chiti women. Do you think that made Yitzchak happy? No. That is a source of great pain. Tragically, too many in our generation know. When a child marries out of the faith, out of the family, the pain and the anguish that that causes. Yitzchak anticipates he's at the end of his life. It's time to give the brachas. And here we have... The famous story: that Yitzchak wants to give the bracha to Esav, Rivka steps in and comes up with this entire scheme. Yaakov dresses up, appears before his father, steals the bracha from Yitzchak. Esav then comes from 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 Esav, Yitzchak from Yitzchak as well. Yitzchak then finds out when Esav comes. And it brings us to the end of the parsha, which is what we're going to look at more carefully. But before we get to the end of the parsha, which is what I want to look at, it's on page... I want to look with you. On page 140. Parakhav of Zion, Pasuk Mem Aleph, chapter 27, verse 41, is where I want to start with you. But before we get to that, we have to beg the overarching question. How could... How could Yitzchak have so miscalculated? If Esav is the lowlife, the villain, that he appears to be, that Chazal depict him as, then how could Yitzchak, who was this righteous individual, child of Avram and Sarah, the progenitor of the future of the Jewish people, how could he so miscalculate? How could he possibly so miss out? The Sforno says Yitzchak was essentially bribed. Sforno writes, Because you know what? Esau fed his father well. He was a hunter. I don't know, if I had a nightly barbecue, if I got to have some good flesh and fried onions and a nice side dish and some ribs every night for dinner, I might too be blinded from the deficiencies and faults in whoever was providing that. Food has that ability to blind us. Although that's a little disturbing. Again, Yitzchak is this great spiritual guide to think he's blinded by food. Rivka, on the other hand, is Oheves as Yaakov. Rivka has this inclination towards Yaakov, favors. We begin to see the trend of favoritism in the parasha that Yaakov is going to pay forward, of course. He's favored by his mother and he pays that forward by favoring? By favoring Yosef. Why did Rivka favor Yaakov? Some Farshim point out, Rivka realized, maybe more than Yaakov, maybe more than Yitzhak rather, Rivka realized, you know, these children, they have... Not one set of grandparents. They have two sets of grandparents. Our Yaakov and Esav have two Zaydas. And it's true, Rivka says to herself. True on my husband's side, the zeda is none other than Avram. But on my side, this kid zeda is, is Besuel. Uncle's Lavan. This kid has DNA and genetics. And she thinks, you know what? Esav is influenced and shaped by her side, Bessuel. And Yaakov is the one who the baton will be passed on to. He is following in the footsteps of his Zayda of, of Avraham. The Malbim actually writes, Malbim says that Yitzchak's mis, miscalculation is not so crazy. He thought, you know what? Esav doesn't have Zitzfleisch. Esav can't sit in the base medrash and learn. But he's a great hunter. He's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. He can make it rain. Yaakov Yaakov's Ishtam all V'olem, pure, to me mystic, sits in the base Medrash, says the Malbum, you know what? Esav will be the earner and Yaakov will be the learner. And what a beautiful synergy between my sons. Wow! I can pass forward this legacy from my father through this incredible partnership, this tremendous synergy between my children. Esav will earn and it will enable Yaakov to learn, but he miscalculated because he wasn't exposed to the totality of Esau's personality. Esau was duplicitous. He presented himself to Yitzchak in one way, but that wasn't the truth of who, of who he was. And so Yitzchak was fooled. Others explain, and this is the opinion that most uh, resonates for me, is that there's more going on here. You see, Yitzhuk and Rivka have a tradition. The netziv says, by the way, they didn't communicate well in marriage. And that's what led to this. If Rivka could share her feels, fears comfortably with Ya with Yitzchak about Esav's direction, if Yitzchak could share why he was predisposed towards Esav with Rivka, some of this might not have happened. says the netziv, there was a breakdown in communication in their marriage. It all comes down to marriage these days. Every drusha, every shir, every, everything. But there was a challenge in communication, in a failure, a vacuum of communication is where deception and manipulation and where these kind of things can evolve. But Yitzchak and Rivka had a tradition that in each generation, at the beginning of the formation of our people, though there would be siblings, one would be designated to carry that tradition and legacy forward. Yitzchak himself knew that because he experienced it. Where did Yitzchak experience that? With whom did he experience it? Ishmael. Yitzchak's father had two children, he and his brother, his half brother Yishmael, and he understood that Yishmael was not the one to carry the baton while he was. He now has two children, and he has this tradition that only one of the two will be the one to whom they'll pass off the baton. Now, if you're a Yitzchak and you're a betting man, who do you think you have to pass the baton to? You've got two children. One is pale, meek, malnourished, never leaves the study hall. His nose is buried in books. He has no street smarts. He is pure and trusting to a fault. That's one child. The other is strong. He's a gibor, He's a warrior. He's a hunter. He shows you an incredible kibbutz. He treats you with deference and love and respect. He takes care of you. He feeds you. He provides for you. He has the ability to go out and protect himself and protect you. And now you think, which one of these two kinder are you going to pass the baton to? Who can be entrusted to safely and securely transmit this new entity forward? Yitzchak says to himself, listen, Asa is not exactly who I'd want. I wish Esav also had night Seder and morning Seder. I wish he went to the me. But you know what? If I have to choose between the two, and I'm a betting man, I'm putting my money on Esav. And that's a legitimate. when you see it in that perspective. That's legitimate. Whereas Rivka says, don't underestimate Yaakov. Yaakov looks pale. He looks malnourished. He looks like he can't pick his nose up out of the books he looks like he's trusting to a fault and that explains the entire scheme now Rivka, we understand was not with any poor intention scheming to have Yaakov fool and steal from her own husband it's unconscionable what did Yitzchak and Rivka's marriage look like after that? unless you understand the way we're explaining it that what happens is Rivka and Yitzchak, every night they go to bed leave the sit out Every night they go to bed and every night they're having this fight. And, and Yitzchak is saying, look, I know Esau not entirely the kid we were hoping for, but I'm telling you, he's the one. That's who I'm spending my time and that's who I'm giving the brachas to, he's the one. And Rivka keeps advocating, no, you're underestimating Yaakov, little Yaakov, I'm telling you, our little Yaakov can do it. He's the one, look at him. He's righteous, and he learns, and he's pure. And they're having this battle every night And neither can convince the other. And now Rivka says, you know what, I have no choice. The only way that I can get Yitzchak to see Yaakov as being capable is by showing Yaakov being capable. She says, Yaakov, come over here. We're going to pull off a scheme that your father doesn't believe in a million years you could do. And you're going to pull it off. You're going to pull the wool over your own father's eyes to show him that he can trust the future to you that you do know how to engage a world where they refill the wells, a world where they back out on their promises, a world where they are not honest and genuine. Yaakov, you're going to show your father, I don't know if you call him Tati, Abba, I don't know what he called, Dad, Pops, you're going to show your father that you can do it. That's what happens. And the reason that this resonates with me brings us to the psukim that I want to study with you right now. The reason it resonates for me is because how else do you explain how Yitzchak and Rivka recover a marriage, but moreover, how Yitzchak looks at Yaakov. Because after Yaakov steals the brachas, and Rivka realizes she's got to get Yaakov out of there, his life is at risk, Yaakov comes back to Yitzchak a second time for another bracha, and a send-off. And you know what the text leaves out? If you're Yitzchak, don't you have a bone to pick with Yaakov? Don't you want to say to him, Hey kid! What were you thinking? You tricked me, you lied to me, you fooled me. What were you doing? And do we see any of that? No, we see it's like say, I gesund my kinder, travel safely, eat well, give me nachas, all the best, cultiv. What happened? Where is confronting him about the lie? Nothing. To me, the, one of the explanations is the only way, the best explanation is if you understand that Yitzchak is not bitter or resentful, neither at Rivka nor at Yaakov because he understood that that scheme was necessary to bring him on board, recognizing that Yaakov is the man going forward. So I want to begin with this P'sukim Perich of Zion, Pasuk Mem Aleph Before we do one last thought one last thought from Rav Shlomo. Again, the uh, Evan Shlomo, the parish of Rav Shlomo on the Parsha. So he talks about the fact that Yitzchak's vision dimmed. It's right? so our Pasuk. Parak Chavzayim, Pasuk Aleph. What precipitates, given these brachos, Vayikizakein Yitzchak vatechena Mir os vayikores esav. So Rav Shlomo sees in the continuity of that Pasuk, Yitzchak got old, he no longer could see well, he called Esav. That there's a connection between the inability to see well and the favoritism towards Esav. And I wanted to read to you from Rapshlomo, because Rapshlomo Torah is always best in an Rapshlomo voice. Everybody knows when a couple gets married, the first thing the groom does is covers the eyes of the bride. Do you know what the bride is telling her groom? I'm not a bride who's ready to get married so that the world can see a beautiful wedding and a beautiful bride and groom. I only want to marry you if our relationship is on that level which is much deeper than what can be seen. Explains the whole idea of the Bedeccan. We have a tradition the badecken has to do with Rachel and Leah what we'll read about shortly. Says Reb Shlomo the idea of the badecken is the groom covers her eyes and says our relationship is deeper and much greater than what meets the eye. It's not about the beauty of what everyone sees here at the wedding. The dress and the makeup, and the flowers, and the hall, it's much deeper. So here I want you to know, at the end of Yitzchak's life, says Reb Shlomo, he was blind. you know what that means? He suddenly reached the level of seeing much more than only what's in front of you. The secret of longing. When you learn this level of longing, Yimamish don't see the way things are anymore. He only saw Mashiach is coming. No matter what the world sees, Yitzchak sees something else. How come Yitzchak didn't see Esav the way Esav really was? He only saw who Esav could be. Esav also had a lot of holy souls in him. You know, Chazal tell us, Rabbi Akiva was a great-grandson of Esav. Rabbi Meir was a great-grandson of Esav. Haman's descendants end up learning Torah in Bnei Abrak. Esav had all these great souls coming from inside him. And that's all that Yitzchak could see. But you see what it is, the holiness of Israel is when both ways of seeing are together. A Yid has to mamash see what's in front of him and also has to be on the level of longing, seeing beyond the limitations of what's right in front of his eyes. Rivka is the one who fixes Yaakov's soul. Yaakov didn't know what the blessings are for him. Rivka fixed this for him. She's found on the fountain. She's connected to that fountain, the fountain of seeing way beyond. She knows that the ultimate is by both seeing both what is and what could be. And he goes on, but Absalom essentially says that the debate between Yitzhak and Rivka is that Rivka, Yitzhak, insisted on seeing potential. True, Esav's an underachiever. I know he's not living up to his potential. But I'm telling you what he's capable of. There's a Rebbe Mayer in there. There's a Rebbe Akiva in there. Don't give up on him. And Rivka says, I love him too. He's our son. I'm not giving up on him. And as much as I want to see potential, I can't neglect what is reality. She is the mother of our people and her vision wins the day. Yitzhak is blind. Torah tells us he's blind. She sees she sees the combination of what is and what could be, and it's with that clarity that she guides the future towards Yaakov, rather than t- towards Esav. Peruch of Zion Pasuk Memalaf What's going on here? Esav hated Yaakov, because of the blessing, Va'istom some of say, Vayistom, he made himself into Yaakov's satan. He became Yaakov's adversary. He hated Yaakov because he had stolen the bracha. So Esav said in his heart, he said to himself, You know what? The whole reason Dad gave us the bracha now is he's getting old. He's infirm. He's going to die. When he dies, as the mourning period ends, I'm going to murder my brother. I'm gonna kill this guy. He just stole my life, my joy, my eternity. Says Rasha, Yikravu yume Evalavi, Kimashmo, Es Abba. Because interesting, even in Esav's passionate hatred and disdain for Yaakov, what does he maintain? Kiburav. Av. Chazal tell us, by the way, how Levi Kiburav reached the level of Esav Esav excelled at Kiburav. And even in his moment of greatest hatred, his proclamation that he wants to kill his brother, still he is calculating not to violate the honor of his father. So he's going to wait till his father dies. He's going to wait till his father dies. Vayomer Esav Billy Torah is telling us what Esav says in his heart. So what happens next? Pasuk. Vayugad the Rivka. Is Esav it's told to Rivka the words of her son. Her older son Esav, she quickly runs to alert. She sends a text to Yaakov, "Get over here! Your brother's going to kill you." How do you get from Pasuk Memalaf to Pasuk Membeis? How do we get from Esav said where? Esav where? Billy Bo. Esav says it to himself. How do we get from Esav having an inner thought? To Rivka, hearing what Esav said and therefore sending a text warning Yaakov. What happened here? The Rashi says, <speaking in Hebrew> Rivka is a Neviah. She's a prophetess. So she understood. <speaking in Hebrew> she had divine inspiration to Esav's inner thought. She intuited, she understood and therefore she... i warn- Now I'll tell you the truth. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that Esav, with his profile, who he is, likely is going to be a little unhappy with Yaakov, and may even, as a hunter, want to kill him. So, but Baruch HaKodesh says Rashi. Says the Ibn Ezra, It's possible, says the Ibn Ezra, that Esav did not just have this thought in his heart, but that he confided in one of his friends. Or maybe she knew it through prophecy. And says the Ibn Ezra, But the first explanation, how did Rifka find out? Word of mouth. Esav didn't just think it in his heart. He confided in a friend, and there's no such thing as confiding in a friend. And it got back to Rifka, and Rifka warns. It's interesting the Ibn Ezra ends with But the first explanation is more appealing. There's a commentary on the Ibn Ezra, super commentary on the Ibn Ezra called the Aviezer And he writes, Machaber Harishon Karov, Vahasheni emes, ki hayu. In other words, tries to like do a little repair on the Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra dismissed the idea that Rivka knew it through prophecy. Ah. She probably found out because people have big mouths. Comes along the aviezer a commentary on the Ibn Ezra it says, No. When the Ibn Ezra says Harishon Korov, but you're supposed to read it hasheni emes <laughs> The first explanation is not bad But the second one's the one that's true It's like a little uh, patchwork On the Ibn Ezra I found that fascinating The Ramban does not like this Ibn Ezra Says the Ramban <laughs> Says the Ramban Why did the Ibn Ezra have to come on to this creative suggestion That Esav confided in a friend who told Rivka because when a person comes to a conclusion in their heart, it doesn't mean that they don't also talk about it. It just means that they came to the conclusion first in their heart. Right? How often do you start a conversation? You know, I was thinking. You know, I realized. You know, I've come to the conclusion that. So, Amar Balibo means he began a conversation with someone else. You know, I was thinking. You know, I came to the conclusion, and so on. That's how the Ramban sees it. The uh, Kliyakar says, Why does Esau wait for his father's death? Kibarav, so, nu, no, let his father die an hour later. Kill Yaakov. Esau, the Apostle, tells us, doesn't just wait for his father's death. What does he wait for beyond that? Yeme'evel avi. What's yeme'evel? Yeme'evel. The period of mourning. Why does he wait for the period of mourning? Says the Oracha. Says the Kli Says the Kli Yakar. Tala hadaver bime'evel l'fi she'evel also lasuk b'torah ki putkudei hashem yischar misamcheleiv. The Yitzchok Amar v'yakasher tarid lahin bezman shaliyask b'torah ufarak ta'olo imkene be'evelo v'adai leyask b'torah v'lo yelo daver amagin alov v'azar geisachiv. Says Aisav this halachic calculation. Yaakov is always learning Torah. And Torah is going to protect him. In the merit of his always learning Torah, I'll never get him. I'll never be able to get to him. When will I be able to get to Yaakov? When he's unprotected because he's not learning Torah. When can I catch Yaakov not learning Torah? When he's sitting Shiva. Why? In Avil's Asr B'Torah. The says says, He "Ki He Hashem Misam says, Pekudei Hashem, the directives of Hashem, the Torah, is mesam chilev, it brings joy. Simcha is conflicting, it's contradictory to Avelas, and all those forbidden from learning Torah. So says the Kliyakar, Esav must have said to himself, the only time Yaakov is vulnerable, he's exposed, is when he's not learning. And when can I find him not learning? When he's sitting shiva. It's a cute shot. I'll tell you why I don't like it. Because Esav most certainly knew that there are things that a novel can learn. Moi Helchus Avelos, Eov, certainly Yaakov would be preoccupied with the things that a novel can learn. And he'd still be learning Torah. And he wouldn't be... You know, if you're going to already come up with the whole idea, then that's a question on the whole idea. Okay. Rabbi Soloveitchik has a phenomenal insight here. And his insight is to the nature of Aesov's Kibbut Av. We said that Aesov excels He's the standard of Kibbutz Av. The way that he treats his father, the way he treats his mother. Even not wanting to... Wow, what great Kibbutz Av. I'm not going to kill my brother until my dad dies. Psh, Kibur Av. Hopefully our children aspire for a little bit more. So, says Rabbi Salavichik in the Rav Chumash, Kibbutz involves taking care of what's parents' physical needs. While Mora means Respect. ...recognizing their authority. Esav exceeded Yaakov in fulfilling the mitzvah of Kibud. Shimon and Gamliel said he wished he could provide Kibud to his parents to the same extent as Esav. How then could Esav threaten to kill Yaakov and so blatantly violate Yitzchak's will? The true gauge of the relationship between son and father is not the mitzvah of Kibud, writes the Rav. But rather it's the mitzvah of Mora. an imperative that Esav ignored... Kibut is a mitzvah that can only be fulfilled while the parent is alive. Mora applies to the parent in death as in life. Esav would argue that while his father was alive, he had an instinctive weakness for him. Esav himself did not understand the reason for the strange attraction. After all, Isaac was old-fashioned, blind, didn't understand. But once Yitzchak died, once he stopped dictating to Esav out of lead his life, Esav would forget him as if he never existed. But the Mora imperative, on the other hand, is stronger in death than in life. As blurred as our memories become regarding our parents' physical appearance, the greater the gap in time, the stronger the bond. While kibud wanes with distance, mora actually grows stronger. A great insight of the rav. We have two aspects, two mandates to our relationship with our parents. We have kaved es and we have uh, the obligation of yira, of mora, of having awe. I hate the term fear. It's not supposed to have fear, you know, 42 years old, fear of your parents, they're going to punish me. It's awe. You're in such awe of your parents, you don't want to disappoint them. You want to show them the honor that awe would demand. So we have an obligation of honor, and we have an obligation of awe. When it came to honor, who was greater, Yaakov or Esav? Esav. When it came to awe, who was greater? It's not just Yaakov's greater... Esav doesn't even buy into the idea of awe. And the Gemara delineates, or actually those coming to the afternoon, Men's Afternoon Kola, Wednesday afternoons, we're learning this. The Gemara and Kedushin, we're going to get to this, delineates how you fulfill Kavod and how you fulfill Mora. Kavod is to physically care for a parent. Kiber Aveim demands, they ask you to bring them a drink, you bring them a drink, bring them the newspaper, bring them their slippers, you spend Mishalav, mishabend, you have to spend their money, you have to spend your money to care for them and their needs. That's kavod. Awe, you don't sit in a chair, you don't use their name. Awe demands a different. Kavod doesn't exist posthumously. Once the parent dies, you can't care for them physically any longer. But the notion of thinking of them with a sense of awe continues. So this difference that Yaakov was not as great as Asaph in kavod, But Yaakov also subscribed to the law of awe, of Mora, And he maintained Mora even after life. Whereas for Esav, the fact that he says, nope, I'll wait till dad dies and then I'll kill Yaakov. Because I have no obligation to dad after he dies. He's gone. I don't believe in the afterlife. I don't believe in the world. I don't believe in anything. So he's gone. There's no Mora. There's no covet left to show and there's no Mora. I'll wait till dad dies and I'll kill him then. I think it's an amazing insight in terms of death and mourning that kavod diminishes with time you can't physically care for a parent but the awe only grows the nostalgia, the awe the, the recognition of the values of their contribution of their influence is something which only grows with time let's keep going Rivka describes to Yaakov I'm sorry Yitzchak calls Yaakov and says misnachem lecha. what is that word misnachem lecha lehargecha your brother is Misnachem. So Rashi says, Nicham ala achva lachshav Says Rashi, Misnachem comes from the lashon nicham. Regret. Your brother regrets. Your brother is doing an about face. You know, the brotherly love, the unity, the achva. He's done. He's done, says Rivka. You gotta get out of here. He wants to kill you. Ki nicham ala the like Torah tells us with Pasha's Noah, Hashem regretted killing uh, creating the world. Ki niham, and then he brings the marble destroys the world. Niham Rashi says Nachem, He has now gone back on, reversed the attitude of Achva. The Ibn Ezra says misnachem, mikzeres nihama. The Zosi nihama shiyuchal What's his nihama that he's going to kill you? He lost the bracha. But you know what's going to give him some comfort? The only thing that's going to make him feel better from the fact that you got the bracha is when he kills you. Miss He's looking for some nechama. He's looking for some solace. He's looking for some consolation. He's looking for some outlet to his frustration and anger and rage. Watch your back, Yaakov. Miss Nachayim. Your brother's looking for some nechama. And that's what the Ur-Chayim says too. Orachayim writes: Perish mekabel nechama asisa lo lahargecha uvezet tachser la the vhabracha. Takes it a step further, the Orachayim. How will it be a source of nechama? Why is Esav angry at Yaakov? Yaakov stole what? The birthright. If Esav kills Yaakov, what does he get back? The birthright. birthright. Mismachem. He's looking for comfort. He's looking to get back what he lost. And he thinks the way to get back what he lost is if he kills you. V'yata b'ni, sh'ma says Rivka to Yaakov, listen to me. Get up and run to love on my brother. V'yashavti te'imo yamim stay there a short time, till your brother's rage subsides. Go there for a bit, and then you'll come back. Your brother will forget what you did. I'll call for you. I can't lose both of you in one day. And then Rivka says to Yitzchak, right? So here we have a transition. A moment ago, she's warning Yaakov, go, go, my son. And now a moment later she's talking to Yitzchak and she says, <laughs> I'm going to die. My life will be cut short if my Yaakov marries a girl from B'nei Chais. Who already married two girls from B'nei Ches? Esav. If our little Yaakov marries a girl from Benechais, I'm done, I'm over. What am I alive for? What are you trying to kill me? What's the point of life? The notion, the kuf there, is a small kuf. Katshti. Why is it a small kuf? The Baal Turim says, kuf kitana, she'rosa she'osid kuf amah. She saw vua that the Beis which was a hundred amah tall, was destined to be destroyed. What does that have to do with Yaakov, who he marries, what's going on over here? But 1st deal with that question. Why the small kuf? And what does the churban abayis have to do with who Yaakov marries? Maybe it has to do with why Yaakov's running away. There's some sinas chinam between brothers going on here, which we know is the cause of the korban. Maybe that is a maybe that's a connection. Katsti says the Ur-Chayim, She tells Yaakov to run away. Why? ASA's going to kill you. She tells Yaakov. She tells Yitzchak. You know, I told Yaakov to go. Why? Because I don't want. To, there's no girls here for him. He's got to fly somewhere, he's got to meet a girl, that's a priority now. He's got to get into Shiduchim, he's got to write his resume, he's got to get going. So the Orchayim says, why'd she change the story? What happened? Says the Orchayim, <speaking in Hebrew> It would have been Lashon Hara for her to tell her husband, you're Esav, your boy that you love? He's trying to kill our other son. So in order to protect from Lashon Hara, maybe to protect Esav, she gives him another reason of a Masha. the Yaakov, so why did she tell Yaakov, your brother wants to kill you? Why didn't she tell Yaakov the same fabricated reason? There's no girls here for you. Take your resume. Get to New York. ad kaima mitzvah, lo Because vis-a-vis Yaakov, you don't have to go to New York. I'm joking. There's lots of Shiduchim. New Yorkers should come down here to find the best girls. No question about it. So the Orachaim says, so why did Rivka reveal the truth to Yaakov of why he needs to go? Because vis-a-vis Yaakov, it's a kiem of Losama Adam Riacha, you can't stand by while your, uh, while the uh, blood blood is being is being spilled. Okay, so this brings us to what I wanted to start with today. <laughs> because here we go. Yitzchak Yaakov, so. calls Yaakovs, gives him a bracha, He gives him a bracha, says, Go on your way. Do me one thing. Do not marry a girl from Canaan. Do not. Just like Avram wanted Yitzchak to marry within the family and not a Canaan girl, Yitzchak now pays that forward. Yaakov, do do not marry a girl from Canaan. Here's a bracha, and safe journeys. Don't forget to say Tfilas Aderech. That's what I was brought up earlier. Are you kidding? Yitzchak doesn't say to Yaakov, I wish you the best, my son. I want to give you a bracha. Just got to clear something up before you go. I'd like to just talk about what happened. Empty, absent, doesn't mention it. Nothing here. Go to the house of your uncle. And go take from the daughters of love on your uncle. And God is going to help you multiply. Who's Kel Shakai? Rashi says, When we use the name of, of God, one of the seven names of God, Shin it means Amar laolam Die. God is the ability to say enough. God who has a storehouse of blessing. Enough for everybody is the one who's going to bless you. And he's going to give you the bracha of my father that you're going to inherit the land. And he's paying all of these brachas forward. Yitzchak sends Yaakov to Aram to love on the son of Besuo, the brother of Rivka, the mother of Yaakov and Esav says Rashi yodea ma malamdenu. do we not know by now that Rivka is the mother of Yaakov and Esav? we don't know that by now the Sif Seichacham in the commentary on Rashi says makshim, ma hodienu em lo <laughs> why does Rashi have to say I have no idea what this means if you don't know what it means don't say anything <laughs> but you're writing a commentary. Your commentary is to provide meaning. If you have nothing to say, then don't say anything. Why does Rashi have to say, Eneni Yodeya? Eneni Yodeya. So I want to end with this Rashi saying Eneni Yodeya means an incredible amount to me. Because Rashi, among the great gifts that Rashi left us, and he left us great gifts, is how often Rashi says, Eneni Yodeya. And why is that a gift? Why was it more important for him to say in any Odea than to be silent? Because Rashi is giving us a precedent, a license to not know. You don't always have to know. We live in a world that thinks you have to have an opinion about everything. Cuba and Castro and gun control and abortion and Israel and the fires and this election and the future and, you know, if you have a keyboard and internet access, you have the right to an opinion and you should have an opinion and you should act like an authority on everything. And gone are the days that you ask somebody, what do you think about this subject? And they say, I really don't know much about it. I haven't researched it. I I don't know. They say, I think this because I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm supposed to think this and so there's a virtue in being able to say, I don't know. The Gemara Barachos Daftalot says, Teach your tongue to say, I do not know. The Mishnah of Pirkei Avos, the second parak, says, lomed. It's only when you're able to say, I don't know, that you can learn. If you're unable to say, I don't know, and you think you know everything, you'll never come to learn. Rashi numerous times, says, And the Siv Seichachamim, with all due respect, is wrong. Just because he doesn't know, he should not be silent. He should say, I don't know, because what he's saying is, it's okay not to know. We recently had Rav Shechter for Shabbos. I had the privilege of being in Rav Shechter for many years. And when you sit in Rav Shechter you get goosebumps at his encyclopedic comprehensive knowledge of everything drawing from obscure sources go all over the place. It's overwhelming, it's inspiring, it's intimidating, it's incredible. But some of the highlights of She'er were when someone asked a question and the greater Rav Shechter would say, I don't know, good question, it's a good question, I don't know. In other words, when he would share his encyclopedic knowledge, that didn't inspire you, I could be Rav Shechter. When were you inspired is when he said, that's a good question, I don't know that it's okay to not always know. So I think that's a very important comment of Rashi. Rashi says, I don't know what's going on here in this Pesach. We know that Rivka is the mother of Yaakov and Esav. I don't know why the Torah needed to say it. To which the Chacham has said, if you didn't know, just be quiet. And I say, don't be quiet. It's good that you said I don't know, because it gives us all a license not to know always as well. Reminder, tomorrow night is the uh, conference call, second conference call. Don't forget the Women's Health and Halacha Day, the weekend with... Rabbi and Waxman, have a fantastic day and a wonderful Chodesh.